Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates this week. Shamaka Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And I think, Sandu, this is probably tied for like the furthest distance we've been apart in terms of geographical distance. When you go over and do stuff on the West Coast, I think you've done stuff on the West Coast, and I've been back in the UK. Time zone wise, we've been about nine hours apart. Is it nine hours apart? Yeah, it's a bit. It's about nine hours. I think that's pretty much what we're working with here, eight or nine hours. So, um, yeah, it's currently five to midnight as we record this, my time, and it's actually early for you. Well, we're typically we record this a bit later, but keeping it all uh, in line and, and running so that we can all be awake when we're doing it, we are uh, we're adjusting the time zones a little bit. But yeah, I'm slightly knackered. You're slightly knackered. Both probably for similar reasons, to be honest. UFC 270, mate, was absolutely insane. How, how did you consume it? How, how are you feeling? And before we launch in, I mean, how's your weekend been? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, time zone aside, we're actually recording, just to be completely transparent with our with our audience, we're actually recording a day earlier. We're, we're recording this on a Sunday. Normally, we'll, we'll record the podcast on a Monday. And as you could probably tell by the deep bassiness of my voice, I am extremely tired. This is it's, it's because this is why we record on a Monday, so we can actually be a little bit more fresh and composed. And it was madness, Simon. You know how it is, Sai. It's like you know, fight night cards. I feel like over the last year or two have started to get a little bit better. Actually, a lot better, if I'm being honest, in terms of when they start, when they finish, uh, there's not as much fallout and reactionary content uh, to pump out from a fight night card. Pay-per-views are still where the biggest fighters fight. That's where all the title fights are, the biggest stories, the, the traffic is insane from a from a UFC pay-per-view, yet it's still locked into that old school time frame in terms of when it starts, when it ends. And, you know, on Saturday night, I, I finished... I think four o'clock on the, on the morning, Sunday morning. So Saturday night, Sunday morning, and I've had maybe five, six hours sleep. And and to be honest with you, another reason we're recording this a day early, uh, actually not, not, not another reason, but the main reason we're recording this a day early this week is I'm traveling. By the time most people will be listening to this, I'll probably be in the air. I'll be uh, traveling to St. Louis, Missouri, where I'll be there with the BT Sport Gang for WWE Royal Rumble. So just given the fact that you're in Abu Dhabi, Working with IMAF, I'm going to be in St. Louis doing a bit of pro wrestling work. It has made sense to record this on a Sunday. We're a bit tired, but we will continue to forge forward and deliver the goods for our loyal listenership. Yeah, I mean, I've been PCR tested to the point of destruction at this point, and <laughs> thankfully I'm, I'm coming up negative. I'm here for the IMAF World Championships, which kick off uh tomorrow as we sit here so it's sunday night so it starts tomorrow morning um and uh, i'm mentoring a couple of young journalists eric from the united states daniel from uh, from pakistan and uh yeah it's it's already a lot of fun and uh we've been sort of mixing with all the teams and i'm just praying that no one tests positive between now and tomorrow i think we've got to do pcrs again tomorrow so but um is this your first trip is this your first trip abroad since uh covid kicked in say Yes, it is. Yeah, I think so. That, yes, what's, yes. What's that experience so, been like for you? Because it's been a, normally you're used to being on the road and traveling as I, as am I, but to actually finally you know get on a plane, be in an airport, back on a hotel, and 
be back working an event. I know you've only just landed it. You've only been there you know, a matter of hours at this point, but just, one day, someone, one day I've been there. So just, just as someone that's used to obviously yeah. doing this co- constantly, having such a large gap in between travel, what's this been like for you? And what does it mean to you? I guess the major, it was, first off, it's great to get out. It's absolutely great to get out. It's great to get on a plane and go somewhere. The tightness of the COVID protocols here meant it was a bit twitchy. Like I flew into Dubai because it made apparently the the restrictions going into Dubai were a little bit easier at the airport than flying direct to Abu Dhabi. So we had to fly into Dubai, get an instant PCR test on arrival, then get a car, then drive down to Abu Dhabi, cross the border. And because we're working for IMAF, which is um, the event is kind of done in association with the Abu Dhabi Sports Board, um, we basically would wave through the border without needing to be checked or anything. The driver just had to wave a sheet of paper with the IMAF logo on it and we would straight through. So so that was all, all fine. But yeah, I got to the hotel about midnight last night and uh, was up at 6am for registration day here. And it's been absolutely crazy. And it's midnight now. I've probably only been in the hotel room for like an hour since I got back. So it's been it's been crazy. It's a great experience. I'm really grateful to have gotten out. Um, and I'm hopeful that this is the start of a few things that are coming down the line soon. We've got Bellator in London in May. We've got the UFC in London in March. Yesterday, the UFC announced International Fight Week, which is going to start, I think, the very last week in June, running into the early part of July. I will be doing that trip. Um, so one of the first things I do when I get home is uh, working out all the travel for that. And they, they are the things that I've put in my calendar that I'm going to try and do by hook or by crook, no matter how it goes. Work or doing it on my own dime, that's what I want to do. So looking forward to doing that. And it's great to get out. This week is crazy just because the event is unlike anything I've ever covered before. Like, it's completely different. We're talking four to 500 athletes competing in in the space of uh six days uh like the first the first day of competition is going to have something like uh four four hundred people fight on that day so it's going to be absolutely nuts there's four cages running at once it's going to be a great experience i'm looking forward to it very different from what we used to cover in which is the ufc and we had a huge ufc pay-per-view at the weekend and it's the sort of fight that Normally, you'd love to be there for, you know. It's one of those heavyweight title fight and Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Garn. So much backstory going into this. I almost felt sorry for Cyril Garn leading in because I don't really think a lot of it really concerned him. He was almost like the, the collateral damage in some respects because it was all about Francis Ngannou versus his old coach. And... um it, we, we didn't know how the fight would go and it didn't go anything like how we predicted. We thought it would be a first round finish for Francis and Garnu. We were wrong. We said if it went past the second or third round, it would probably be Cyril's fight. We were wrong. Um, but what we did see, Sandu, was the evolution of Francis and Garnu as a mixed martial artist. He's always been very rough around the edge. He's very raw, very powerful, but relatively one-dimensional. He is not a one-dimensional fighter anymore. Eric Nixick at Extreme Couture has done an incredible job. And really, they fought the perfect game plan to beat Cyril Garn on Saturday night. And it was a great performance. I saw it at about, seven, about nine o'clock in the morning. Um, 
and it, which which was a weird time to be watching the UFC main event. But yeah, it was great and superb performance from him. And of course, there's a whole load of fallout that's come after that. But before we go into all of that, give us your give us your sort of first take reaction on the performance itself because. I thought it was super mature performance. He didn't seem to fight with the emotion that I was worried that he might do. And he got the win, deservedly so, I thought. Simon, I have to say, I was blown away. I was so impressed by Francis Ngannou for, for a, a plethora of different reasons. But like you said, you know, you, 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 let, me, let me preface this by saying I've seen some comments from people online and I'm sure they're mostly kind of casual fans, but I want to bring it up just so that to provide a little context for, you know, with regards to my opinion. I saw some people say, oh, it was a boring fight. Oh, you know, they weren't impressed or they expected a big knockout from two heavyweights. And, and, and I thought to myself, you know, someone like Francis Ngannou, who has given us literally a, some of the most incredible knockouts in UFC slash MMA history, you know, up until Saturday night, he had a 100% finish rate with all of his wins. And the reason I was so impressed and I was so intrigued and enthralled and like really kind of got more emotionally invested was how the fight specifically played out. Because after two rounds, Simon, I thought this was a wrap. I thought... Cyril Garn has got this in the bag. I thought the first round could have gone either way. I still gave it to Cyril Garn. Second round was a was a homer for Cyril Garn, in my opinion. So after the after the first ten minutes, I'm like, Cyril Garn is up two rounds to nothing, in my opinion, in my book. And just given our assessment of what we think and you know what history has taught us is, if Francis and Garn can't get it done early, he's not going to get it done at all. So I thought to myself, well, here we go. Cyril Garn's going to go into cruise control mode. He's going to pick this up on the scorecards like we predicted. And that's it. It's it's over. It's done. And to see Francis Ngannou for the first time in his career legitimately, first of all, have a plan B, right? And then actually have to activate plan B. And, it, and like you said, all credit in the world to him. To his head coach, Eric Nixick. You've got to give some credit to, uh, I guess, Kamaru Usman, who we know has been helping Francis Ngannou here and there with his grappling and his wrestling. But then to see him actually do that, like just the, the behemoth of a man that he is, to be able to pick up another giant man in Cyril Ghan and manhandle him and slam him. And, and not just that, some of the control. I mean, I'm not like exactly um, a grappling jiu-jitsu or wrestling aficionado or anything, but, you know, you can clearly tell that there was some strategy and technique at play and skill at play whilst he had Cyril Garn on the ground. He got into a mount position a few times. He was able to really control Cyril Garn. Cyril Garn clearly didn't know how to handle Francis Ngannou, was able to get out of, out of a few scrambles here or there. But given the pressure, the magnitude of the moment, then we find out that he's had some bad knees and he's had um, MCL um, injury needs to get that operated on and I, I think i also read there's a, an issue with his acl he was wearing knee pads uh, for the fight obviously you know the last fight on his contract and and everything that came with you know, him essentially betting on himself and gambling on himself to see what he did simon in rounds three 
four and then five to show that maturity and see this fight out and win on the scorecards i was that is one of the most impressive things i've seen from francis Ngannou. period in my opinion in my book simon i would put that on the same pedestal as any of his incredible knockouts that he's put on um for us in the past it was just uh, in, i was so in awe of the man because of everything else that you know that was riding on his performance and the result more than anything else so tip of the cap a round of applause take a bow francis Ngannou. and i know we're going to get into some of the other you know things to do with the fallout but in terms of the actual performance and the result simon it completely blew me away yeah i'm with you on on the fact that it's as impressive if not more impressive than his knockout wins because you can see from the man he's a super powerful guy right and he's got clearly very heavy hands and even though his striking technique is not the most polished it didn't matter because he only needed one shot to connect and then it was game over to win a fight the way he won the fight on saturday night against the guy he was up against he needed to be better than cyril Garn. he didn't have to be more powerful and hit him with one shot. He needed to be technically better in those ground exchanges. And he was. He absolutely was because there were moments there where Cyril looked like he was working his way out of the position. And then Francis would make adjustments and regain top position and, and regain the dominant position. And sometimes they weren't particularly massive movements you know some of it was quite subtle in the way he was just adjusting himself down there and super impressive super impressive to do that and to control Cyril Garn who has shown a little bit of uh, ability down there on the on, on the mat in the past and but even perhaps more and more important than that his cardio held up and I thought after two rounds as did you as you mentioned Cyril Garn was in the driver's seat after two rounds when he went back to the corner, I remember saying to the guys I was watching the fight with, I'm like, it feel, must feel pretty good to be Cyril Garn right now because he's got he's kind of got through the danger zone. And he, you know, there was a lot of work up against the fence, a lot of clinch work, especially in that second round. And I thought to myself, well, that's that's perfect if you're Cyril Garn because you want to be sapping Francis and Garnu's gas tank. It is, it is a proven tactic that has worked in the past. And then Cyril, with his, his sort of loose striking style, he could start to pick him apart. I thought he was doing well with the body kicks. You know, Southpaw versus Orthodox, that body kick's always open. And he was making he was making hay with that. And he even caught him with a spinning heel kick that, at, at first glance, I thought just sort of caught the top of, of uh, Francis's head. It hit him pretty much squarely on the temple. I think it caught his hand on the way up, which might have just taken the edge off it. But... He was having success and I thought, this is looking really good. What's Francis got to do? Because he looked like he was waiting too much. He wasn't really throwing a hell of a lot. And then eventually, when he got to round three, and I think he surprised everybody by just going to the wrestling rather than looking to up the pace with the striking. Just stepped in. The first takedown was almost like an old school uh, power slam from like WWE. Just sort of picked him up, rotated him in midair and came down with all of his weight on top of him. And yeah, once the fight was on the mat, the key was, could he keep him down? And uh, he, he did. It, it, I was absolutely blown away by how well he did on the mat. And, you know, I hope he's getting his, his props for that. And I hope the coaches, you know, as Eric Nixick, Jury Cooper, um, and a little assist for Kamara Usman, you know, they are, they are his support structure. They are his support network. 
And there's a great clip doing the rounds on social media from his corner before round five. Eric nicks it, basically giving him a little pep talk, telling him, look, I believe in you. You can do this. We've worked on this. This is you. This is you right now. And he went out there and he had a good fifth round. And that, in the end, was what got him the fight. So, yeah, I just thought super mature performance. And you think everything that was going on around him in the lead up, there was a, almost all, the, all, all of the talk leading into the fight wasn't really about the fight. It was all about things around the fight, about the contract situation, about the, the situation with his former coach, the fact he was fighting against a former teammate and what may or may not have happened during one sparring session. There was very little about the technical intricacies of facing Cyril Garn in a, in a, in, inside the octagon. And he went in there and, and did it. And there's still signs, I think, that Francis Ngannou suffers with a little bit of a uh, crisis of confidence during fights. You know, his head was down in a corner once or twice and his corner needed to pick him up a bit. But he's clearly coachable. He's clearly physically gifted. And I don't think we're even anywhere near what he's capable of yet. I think that this is a work in progress for Extreme Couture. You know, they've now started to work in the wrestling, started to work in the jiu-jitsu, just like the basic stuff when it comes to control on the mat. And if you want to dethrone him, you better be quick because if he's still in the UFC, big question, we'll talk about that in a minute, but if he's still knocking around and he's improving at the rate that he improves, he's going to be untouchable in like three, four years. Um, and I'm fascinated to see how all of this pans out, which sort of leads us on a little bit to, in fact, but in fact, we, before we talk about what happened after the fight, let's just have a word for Cyril Gann because he came into this fight undefeated. He came into this fight with a lot of hype behind him. He was the betting favourite when the, when they actually started the fight, which I thought was insane. I've got to be honest with you. I thought Cyril was super talented. Yes, he's undefeated. Yes, but he hadn't operated at that very, very, very elite level for long enough, I didn't think, to justify being made the favourite. I just think a lot of people bought into the narrative a little bit, um, but it was, it was a very evenly contested fight. But he came away, he looked absolutely heartbroken at the end. He looked absolutely crushed, and which was hard to see. It's always hard to see people that have had their dreams broken like that because his nickname is Bon, bon Gamon which I think basically just means good guy in French. And um, he is a nice guy. You know, I've never seen him really speak ill of anybody. He doesn't seem to have an attitude problem. He's very respectful. And he was very respectful in defeat. And I thought that was great. What's next for him? Because he's so young in his UFC career. He's, he's still more than capable of one day holding the undisputed belt, I think. Yeah, in many ways, it feels like he was almost fast-tracked into this position. But then when you look at his record and, and who he's actually fought in the UFC, you know, he's fought some of the best. <laughs> Let's face it, you know, he's fought some of the best the UFC have to offer. And, you know, it's always tough for any fighter to suffer their first loss. Obviously, times that by a million when it's a heavyweight championship on the line against a former sparring partner from your from you know from the other from the old team and it's a pay-per-view main event situation there's so much you know media attention surrounding you know your personal relationship with your opponent the, you know you could be the first french 
heavyweight or the French fighter period to be a champion in the UFC, all that kind of stuff. God knows what the pressure must have been like just from the media in France, let alone anything else stateside and globally from the media. But, you know, you look back at other heavyweights and look back at Francis, you know, even before he became UFC heavyweight champion, he had to swallow a few L's, you know, and there were a few, a few situations that, you know, he got humbled in. I mean, you're talking about the Stipe Miocic fight. We, I was there for that one in Boston, his first crack of the title. It didn't work out for him. You know, after that first round, it was all one-way tra one traffic for Stipe. And, and Francis looked like a fish out of water. You know what I mean? And it's, it's almost funny because, you know, fast forward to this situation here in 2022, and you can clearly tell he's leveled up all his skill set with the grappling and and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, keeping it on, on Cyril for just a second, class act, pure class in defeat. And I have no doubt that he's going to be back. I have no doubt that I think we're probably still looking at him as a future UFC heavyweight champion. And um, I think there's plenty of heavyweights around uh, for him to fight. There's still you know, plenty of fresh opponents. I can't wait to see what happens with Tom Aspinall and, and Alexander Volkov, which is now the, the announced headliner for UFC London. Who knows, if, if Aspinall wins that one, an all-European clash with Cyril Garn later on the year could be potentially on the cards. There's an opportunity for Cyril Garn to perhaps welcome John Jones to the heavyweight division. Depending on how other things play out this year, there's always Stipe Miocic, right? If the UFC can figure out a way to work with him. So yeah, there's I think there's plenty of things um, that you know are on the cards for Cyril Garn down the road, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And possibly more things for Cyril Garn early, given the fact he's just got beat, because there is a big, big question mark over Francis and Garni's future in the UFC. Yeah, he won the belt. And in theory, what that means is his contract will automatically be extended. The general belief is it's three fights or a year. I think that's that's basically how it works. Um, if that is the terminology in his contract, three fights or a year, which means that he's either going to have to get back in there and compete again, or he sits out 2022 um, and then walks away in, in uh, the early part of 2023 and goes and does whatever he wants to do. He wants to box. He has made that very, very clear. He said it in his post-fight interview again. He wants to box. Now, we understand there's a public negotiation going on here, and they very rarely go very well for the fighter from, from experience. They tend, you know, the UFC generally gets what they want. The thing that I found very interesting and slightly worrying, as someone who would like to see Francis Ngannou stay in the UFC, Dana White always presents the championship belt. Always. And, you know, there might be the odd occasion where there's a dignitary he has in and he lets them do it. But he's right there with them as it happens. Dana White did not present the championship belt. Mick Maynard did it. And also Dana White did not show for the post-fight press conference, which was also very, very telling, I thought. Very interesting. Just how damaged is the relationship between the UFC and Francis Ngannou and his team? We know that he's managed by the rival talent agency to the one that owns the UFC, CAA, is working with Francis Ngannou, Markel Martin, former UFC employee. And then you've got um, Endeavor owning the UFC. Surely, surely a rivalry between two talent agencies 
is not going to come between the most devastating heavyweight in recent UFC history and a potential title run. I mean, how can the UFC mess this up, Sandu? Because he is an absolute marketing dream. You know, he's, he's, his story, just to even be a professional athlete, is movie-worthy. You know, escaping Cameroon, working his way through Africa as a, as a refugee, making it to France, sleeping on, on the street, find it, finding the MMA factory gym, wanting to be a boxer, becomes a mixed martial artist, joins the UFC, smokes everybody in his wake, gets humbled in a title fight, bounces back, comes back, beats the guy who humbled him to win the belt. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible story. But since he's won the belt, relations between Ngannou and the UFC have gone absolutely down the toilet. And it's really sad to see because he seems like the perfect guy to have at the top of the heavyweight division. He's the closest thing they've got to Mike Tyson, right? He, it just doesn't, it just doesn't compute. Clearly there's some sort of, you know, clash of personality somewhere in the mix there, but surely this can be dealt with because the way things are looking, Sandu, if, you know, if we, if we were doing our, our Nando's predictions after, as, as we did a couple of weeks ago, my, it'd be a medium take at best to say that Francis Ngannou is not going to fight for the rest of 2022 because the way things are going, I'm beginning to think he won't. What do you reckon? Well, first of all, physically, he needs maybe surgery, maybe some rehab, definitely some time off. So just from a pure physical ability to even train, pre- prepare for a fight, he'll be out for a while. Okay, he just went through a grueling 25 minutes with some bad wheels, right? So that needs to be taken care of first and foremost. Let's try and go through everything that you mentioned there, Simon. I thought it was poor form for Dana White to not wrap the UFC heavyweight championship belt around Francis Ngannou's ways because regardless of what happens in the future, on fight night, you're the UFC president. He is your UFC heavyweight champion. And... You know, I hope everyone's had a chance to watch the France Singanu post-fight press conference because when he was asked about what he wants, is it just the money? He was very quick to say it's not all about the money; it's about respect. And then when someone says, "Hey, you know, what did you make of of Dana White not wrapping the the, the belt around your waist?" He's like, "You know, I didn't know he was going to do that." And I think that factors into what he feels as though is a lack of respect. You know, and then when he found find out that um, Dana White didn't even turn up to the post fight press conference, I think that is another slap in his face. In his, uh, the, the, that's my read on the situation. I feel I feel like he thinks that's also a lack of respect. You know, and and clearly, God knows why Dana White didn't turn up, but that was going to be a hot seat for Dana White. There was, you know, media there that was going to ask him a whole lot of questions about the future of Francis Ngannou and fighter pay and, you know, contracts and, and, and all this kind of stuff, right? And now Dana White, by not turning up, has just dodged all of that. And I'm sure he'll, you know, work with a PR team to figure out a game plan for how to handle the questions and be maybe perhaps a lot better prepared because ultimately these questions will come, but they'll probably be softballs you know, from broadcast partners and, and friendly media in the coming days and weeks. So that's a different story for a different day. We can always digest and chew 
what the the company line is from Dana White once he actually um provides with us with some uh some information and some feedback and some opinions on his take on things but yeah it's crazy Simon because Francis Ngannou in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan and you have to give Joe Rogan credit like I would have loved to hear Joe Rogan ask him about John Jones but I think Joe Rogan's smart enough to know that listen the the, the story with Francis Ngannou for a while now is his, his dream to box Tyson Fury has been going back and forth with him and look you know he asked Francis Ngannou about that whole situation about boxing and Fury and he said listen he was adamant, Simon. He said he must box before he calls time on his career. And, and I know you mentioned there that you know he's still a, a work in progress. But on the flip side of that, he's a 35-year-old man. Yeah. He's a 35-year-old man who's at the top of his game in the UFC. He's a UFC heavyweight champion. He kind of started his MMA career and his athletic career a little bit late. He's now got you know some knee issues to work with. And I think him and also his team realized the fact that there's a very short window of opportunity here to maximize what they can make, whether it be in MMA, in boxing, combat sports, and the term of the deal, how many fights he signs for, other perks, and rev share deals, sponsorship. So, but that's kind of like the, the inside baseball, like only the hardcore MMA fans and the media are going to really talk about this. The mainstream casuals, they're just going to be like, well, why isn't the UFC heavyweight champion still in the UFC? And honestly from what i've seen so far there's some people out there simon that are just you know real casual ufc fans that maybe just tune in for title fights i don't even think they care and i don't even think they care because i think they've been conditioned not to care because the ufc policy is has always been when there's issues with fighters it's like cool we'll create an interim title or cool we'll just crack on with the next event don't want to take this fight cool well the next man up uh, uh, mentality and there's always going to be a plethora of fighters who will jump on uh, an opportunity to take a spot or a payday uh, that another fighter perhaps deems to be less satisfactory. So that's just it. That's just the the, the nature of the beast. It's uh, it's perhaps an unfortunate part of the, the sport that we love and we cover. And there's obviously plenty to share and plenty to go around. But man, um, you know, the UFC, you know, have a hierarchy um, on this sport and on this business. And, you know, even the, the behind the scenes politics between Francis Ngannou and his agency, who you know he's repped by CAA, Endeavor own the UFC. Those are two rival global agencies that have been you know you know rivals for a very very long time. So yeah, let's see how this all plays out. Like a part of me feels like it's a question that people I think need to ask themselves. It doesn't matter who you are, media fans, whatever. Do you want to see? Someone like Francis Ngannou, who has already given enough to this sport and enough in terms of that entertainment, to leave the UFC and to finally get that payday and to maybe perhaps set a precedent so that others can also get a payday and maybe even force the UFC's hand to provide better paydays to the existing roster? Or do you just want to be selfish? Do you just want to be, you no, know, me, me, me? I want the I don't care what he gets paid as long as he stays in the UFC and I get my heavyweight action, you know, two or three times a year. It's all about me and my viewing pleasure. You know, what, what kind of fan are you? Where do you stand? You know, and, and I know where you, me stand because, you know, when you dedicate so much of your life and such, such a, a, a long period of your life to covering and being involved in an industry and, and a sport, you want to see, you know, the fight is that really, you know, without them, there, there is nothing here. There is no sport to cover. You want to see them happy and you want to see them get their fair pay and uh, get their fair share of everything. So 
bit of a rant there from me, Simon. Sorry, but you know, I think that hopefully that sums up kind of like where my stance is and my opinion on and my take on and my read on this whole situation with UFC and Francis Ngannou. The tricky thing with this, and you've got boxing and you've got UFC. They are not the same sports, but there are transferable skills, right? So, an athlete in one sport could take a busman's holiday and have a fight in the other sport, right? And I think the big the big elephant in the room here is the issue of fight to pay. UFC business model is very different to the boxing business model. And arguably, the UFC business model is a more sustainable, more successful one. I mean, they're paying their fighters less for a start, which should make things more, more uh, sustainable. But I think you put it on, uh, on your Instagram today. I think you mentioned that Francis Garnou Disclosed pay, obviously bonuses could go on top of this, $600,000, right? Not chump change, good amount of money in a vacuum, right? But then compare that with the heavyweight champion of the world in boxing, the WBC heavyweight champion Tyson Fury. Was it $45 million, was it? $35 million? $30 million. $30 million, there you go, right? That's, that is an insane difference for two guys who essentially hold the same status in their respective sports, best heavyweight in the world, right? And for me, the easy way, I say easy way, one way of the UFC softening the issue of fighter pay is to loosen up their contracts a little bit, allow fighters to take a finite number of bouts in another sport don't go fight for another mma promotion obviously that would be i think that's something that you could you could realistically say you can't go and fight for bellator or rising or whatever you're contracted to the ufc as a mixed martial artist but they're not contracted to the ufc as a boxer so why can't he go and box under a top rank banner or a queensbury banner or a matchroom banner or whatever it might be why not why not? As long as he fulfills the terms of his contract. If he has to fight three times in a year to fulfill his contract, or, I mean, I think it's more the other way around. The UFC has to offer him three fights in a year. But if he's prepared to fight, you know, the appropriate number of times for the UFC, then why not? Why not let him go and earn 10, 20, 30 million in a boxing match and then come back to the UFC and, and fight? Because you've got him contracted. So... He can't go off and box anyway at the moment until you know you have to fulfill your contract first. So I'm sure there's ways and means of doing this, but I just it would be groundbreaking. This would be a first. This would be something that has never been done before. Yes, we've seen Conor McGregor go and have a one-off boxing match. But what I'm saying here is potentially we're talking about rewriting contracts. We're talking about creating a loophole to allow people to go and compete on the side in boxing. And for me, that then allows those fighters who want to want an extra payday to go and get it, to get what what they think they can get. And who would begrudge Francis Ngannou going and fighting Tyson Fury for twenty million dollars or whatever he might get? I, you know, and then come back and fight in the UFC again, defend your title. The only issue for the UFC, I think is the potential or perceived damage to their brand if he goes in against Tyson Fury and, as is likely, 
he'll get his head boxed off by Tyson Fury because Tyson Fury is an insanely talented boxer. Francis Ngannou is not. Francis Ngannou is a very powerful heavyweight with big power, big knockout power. But he's not a boxer, not like Tyson Fury. So if Tyson Fury just runs rings around him for 12 rounds, makes him look like an absolute novice, then that's a, that's damaging to the UFC brand. And I think that's the only sticking point if you're the UFC because they're very brand, brand protective. But really, why not let people do that? Long as they're still fighting within their contract. You know, you don't want to have someone under contract and then they have a boxing match and say, you know what, I'm not doing this MMA stuff anymore. On, on, on condition that they fulfill the terms in their contracts and they fight the fights that are in their deal, why not? Why not? I think the time has come to maybe look at things like this. Otherwise, we're going to have a situation where we're either going to lose out or Francis is going to lose out on a payday that he deserves or the UFC are going to lose an absolute superstar talent on, on, on you know, for what? For a principle that doesn't really matter. So that's kind of my take on it. And yeah, as you say about casual fans and stuff, just get in a fight, just get in a fight. These guys, you know, they put their life in, in up, up, for, up for grabs every time they get in the cage. This is the toughest sport in the world. And the guys who get 10 and 10 have exactly the same risks as the guys who get 100 grand, 200 grand, 500 grand. Um, arguably, the risks are greater because they're, they're not perhaps as, as skilled at defending themselves. So... Yeah, I just think, why not let people do a few bits on the side and make this be the sort of the, the line in the sand where we move into a new era where fighters have a little bit more freedom. Fighters get better better paid across across the board. But we still get the fighters going in there and doing what they do and entertaining the fans. That would be the perfect thing. But that's a bit of a utopian view. I don't think that's going to happen somehow. I've got a horrible feeling that we may have seen the last of Francis and Gallo in the UFC. And that, that makes me sad. Yeah, I've got that same really, you know, dirty feeling in my gut that that's what's going to happen this year because he's clearly not going to fight again this year. As a champion, he has to wait until December 31st until he's a free agent. And if the UFC, you know, were to let him go, say, for example, they let him go even on the 30th of December of this year, they can let him go at that point and still have matching rights. If they actually allow the contract to play out, then after the 31st of December, they, they won't have matching rights. Then he'll be a true, true free agent. But I can see the UFC this year saying, well, you know, Francis Ngannou's got some, some knee injuries. We've got to keep this train rolling and we need to keep the heavyweight division moving forward. And you know what? We're going to create an interim title. That old chestnut. And um, I can see them perhaps trying to get a deal done with, I don't know, John Jones, who's been teasing a move to heavyweight for a very, very long time, but has his own issues with regards to what he thinks he's he's worth and his value. You've got Stipe Miocic, who hasn't fought since he lost the belt. So, or they can just be like, hey, Tom Aspinall, fantastic performance in London. Want to fight for an interim title? And again, if you're Tom Aspinall, how do you not jump out an opportunity? So there's always going to be so many you know, options for the UFC to kind of you know, put a Band-Aid on a bad situation, right? And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole year plays out, what's said in the media, the the quotes we get from Nganu and his management and his agency, what we hear from Dana White. 
it's uh you know best case scenario the ufc cool has prevail and they're able to get a deal done and, and francis Ngannou is still you know ufc heavyweight champion and still fighting in the ufc get what he is you know deserved and what he's earned uh, the craziest thing about this whole situation is simon fighters like francis Ngannou, and this kind of goes back to the the top of the conversation and the top of the podcast today how you mentioned him being kind of like the mike tyson he is legitimately the closest thing the equivalent mma's equivalent to mike tyson and it's just unfortunate and sad that the ufc have promoted him but to a limit like if they had really put the rocket boosters behind francis Ngannou, if they really got behind him i'm talking every department full pelt i'm talking dana white giving it you know his absolute best effort to really build up and pr promote Francis Ngannou, both pre-fight, post-fight, at all of his you know previous you know big events that he's been involved with. He could easily, even to this day, right now, be 10, 15 times the star that he currently is. I mean, he's a big star, but he's kind of had to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Him and his team have had to do a lot of the heavy lifting themselves in terms of putting himself out there. And obviously, you know, he's had to let his performances speak louder than anything else and speak louder than words. But when you look at how other fighters have been promoted in the past, you know, you think about Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey, and when the UFC and Dana White in particular really gets behind some fighters, it, it, you can only kind of imagine, you know, how much bigger Francis Ngannou could be in terms of a UFC star, a UFC draw. But because of this whole situation, you know, it, the, the craziest thing to me was when I heard earlier on this week that obviously Francis has let his you know, contract play out the way he has. This is his contract from 2017, Simon. Think about that for a second. This, the contract he signed in 2017 was for so many fights. And again, maybe other fighters to think about this is like, you know, at a certain point in your career, how many fights are you signing up for? You know, and what what if you become champion in two years, but you still have five fights left in your contract and you've got no negotiation power? You only have negotiation power if and when you become a free agent. And those situations, you know, if anything, maybe Francis Ngannou is now setting a precedent for the fighters. It looks like Nate Diaz is chomping at the bet to get his last fight out of the contract done and dusted so he can enter free agency. It's uh, it's fascinating time, Simon, and it'll be. I'm curious to see if this has a genuine knock-on effect on other fighters, other champions, other stars in the UFC. Conor's been very outspoken, not outspoken, but very forthcoming on social media by saying he's only got two fights left on his contract. You know, what does he do then? You know, so it's a, it's a fascinating time in, in, in the sport. It's completely unprecedented. And for, for one, of the, on the, one of the very, very rare occasions, a UFC champion has bet on himself or herself, in this case, is himself. And... And it's worked out. It's really worked out. And and now he's going to find out his true worth and his true value. And uh, yeah, I hope Francis Ngannou, you know, gets all the money that he deserved and, and all the money that is rightly earned. Yeah. The other thing I just wanted to throw in. Previously, it would definitely, but absolutely 100% be in the UFC's best interest to make sure they keep all their big stars, A, on their roster, B, active, and C, fighting as frequently as possible. Why? Because they shift pay-per-views. Pay-per-views equal revenue, and that is their key revenue driver. But it isn't anymore. They sold that off to ESPN. ESPN now get that. And the UFC gets a flat, flat rate. And that then means that the UFC's duty is to put on 12 pay-per-view cards a year. 
Now, you could look at, you know, not, not all pay-per-view cards are, are put together the same. You get some absolute blockbuster ones and you get some that are a bit a bit thin. And so it it's not quite as important all the superstars are out. Because if they have a lower year in terms of pay-per-view buys, then they're not going to take the huge hit directly. I mean, it might come back somewhat when they come to renegotiate if it's an extended issue. But at the moment, when you're renegotiating with a champion, the UFC could turn and say, well, look, we don't have to put you in these fights. We don't, you know, we can we can live without you because, you know, we don't need your pay-per-views. We just need you on a fight card. And if you don't want to go on a fight card, there's a whole load of people who earn a hell of a lot less than you that we can put in the same spot. So that's an interesting sort of dynamic to it all as well. But that main event, like the fallout from that is going to continue. That is going to be a story that I think is going to dominate much of 2022, for or at least for as long as that rumbles on. But that wasn't the only title fight on Saturday night, Sandu. And we predicted that Davidson Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno 3 would possibly steal the show. And it kind of did. It was the fight of the night, deservedly so. It was a back and forth battle that when you got all the way to the end of the fight, you weren't a hundred percent sure which way the judges were going to score it. And I'll be honest, when they returned a unanimous decision and all scored the fight 48-47 in favor of Davis and Figueredo, I was surprised because it was one of those back and forth fights that you normally get a little bit of difference of opinion in the judges, especially when some of the rounds are pretty close. And we didn't get that. We got we got consistency, we got parity across the scorecards. And we've got a definitive result. Brilliant. It's now 1-1-1. One, one, and one. <laughs> one win each plus, a, plus a, a majority draw. So we look. it looks now like we're going to get a fourth a fourth one. And uh, Davison Figueredo, for a brief moment during his post-fight interview, was kind and respectful and the real Davison Figueredo, I think, in the cage where he said to Brad, he basically told Brandon Moreno to basically keep his chin up and keep plugging away. I want to fight you in your home country next. And he sort of thanked him for giving him the chance to fight him again. Soon as he, but, you know, by the time he got to the press conference, I think his manager and Henry Cejudo and Captain Eric had, had, uh, had, had sort of whispered in his, in his ear and he was back to, back to calling him a crybaby and all this sort of stuff, uh, immediately trying to build things up for the next fight. But, Great performance. And the big difference for this fight, he looked okay at the weigh-ins. I was genuinely worried about the weigh-ins. He looked bad last time. He looked shredded a week before the fight. And I thought, how much more can this man lose? And he looks all right on the scale. He kind of jogged up to the scale. Everything was fine and dandy. I think he was even one pound under the limit. I think he came in at 124. I think they both did. And he went out there and he fought brilliantly. His gas tank was fine. Uh, he dropped... Moreno, I think, five times at different points during the fight in one way or another and won the decision. And I thought he I thought he edged it. Moreno thought he edged it. But it's a great fight, Sandy. First off, how did you score it? And are you happy that the next fight might be the fourth meeting? Or are we getting to the stage where the division is starting to stack up behind them and someone else needs to have a go? It was a great fight, Simon. It was a close fight. I scored it for Figgy. I agreed with the judges on this one. And yeah, I'm absolutely up for a fourth fight. It's funny because after 
three fights, I still don't know who the better man is. It's madness, isn't it? It's like that's the thing, isn't it? They've they've drawn once, Moreno's won once, and now Figgy's won once. And and you know, look, there's you can definitely make a case for contenders at flyweight, but there's no one really jumping off the page, screaming off the page with star power behind them. And you know, Kai Kara France has got a big fight coming up. There's a couple of others in there, but I feel like you know, perhaps let that flyweight division just mature just a little bit more. Let some of these guys build up their name a little bit more and get a little bit more familiar with with the fan base and allow for their story to be told a little bit more. And in the meantime, let's settle the score. Let's settle the score between Brandon Moreno and Figgy once and for all. Right? A fourth fight. It's one, one, and one. It's a deadlock. Let's go to sudden death. Let's find out who the better man is. And and I agree with you, Simon. Davis Figueredo, I, f- I feel like he's finally nailed it. Whatever he's whatever he did in this camp, nutrition, his weight cut, he looked phenomenal at the beginning of fight week. It looked like it didn't drain him to the point where he couldn't perform. He was performing fantastically well over the over the course of the 25 minutes. And on the flip side, Moreno looked like an absolute superstar in Anaheim. The way he the way he walked out, complete 180 from the jovial, fun, happy, smiling character that we we are you know get to know during fight week and showing off his lego and you know other bits and pieces he looked like an absolute demon walking out and the reaction and the reception that he got from that anaheim crowd was electric and davison played up the the part of the villain and they booed him and so it, it made for a very entertaining atmosphere and the fact that these two put on a, a display that like you said got fight of the night well deserved there and you know, yeah, let, let's do it. Let's do it one more time. And I think then we can just close the, the the book on this. One more fight, unless it's a draw, of course, but one more fight to find <laughs> out who the who the legitimate best is between these two guys. And then we can finally move forward uh, with the flyweight division. But yeah, I, I had a great time watching it. Yeah, and like I said, I did score it for Figueredo. I thought he did a great job. He did. He did. And I think if you look at the three fights there were kind of mitigating circumstances in all of the fights, except perhaps the one that we just saw. So the first fight, Figueredo should have won. There were point deductions that cost him the win. The second fight, Figueredo had a terrible weight cut, looked awful and was not at his best and got beat. The third fight, Figueredo came in in good shape and won the fight. That body of work tells me that Davison Figueredo is probably the better man of the two. And I say that as a man who picked Brandon Moreno to win the fight on Saturday. But looking at that body of work, especially with what happened on Saturday, that suggests to me that Davison is probably the guy, right? He certainly is right now because he's got the gold. But let's just make sure. It's not like we've been served up a dud in any of these fights. Even the fight that was a draw was an absolute barn burner. So let's see it again. Let's do it again. Once more with feeling. Take it down to... Take it down to Mexico. Let's do something crazy in Mexico City or somewhere. And the place will go absolutely bananas for the, for um, for Brandon Moreno down there. It would be an incredible, incredible event. And we'll have a definitive champion. Like proper, no arguments. This is the guy. And I agree that the, the flyweight division, is, there's lots of up-and-coming talent. But none of them are on that absolute red-hot streak yet. I think... All of the ones who are doing well probably still need a, another prove-it fight. They need another fight that just cements them 
as a as a championship ready fighter so hopefully they can have those during the course of this year we get the fourth fight maybe back end of this year if we're lucky and then towards the, the very end of the year or early next year you know we've got a fresh crop of contenders coming in but it was it was a fun a fun fight card a fun fight card i mean it wasn't the most star packed fight card but there were some notable results in there michelle pereira doing michelle pereira things and uh getting the decision win Saeed Namagomedov looking absolutely superb, submitting Cody's statement inside a minute, 47 seconds. And uh, Michael Morales finishing Trevin Giles. That was the main card. Um, but it really was all about those two championship fights. You were, on, you were on BT Sport Duty for that event. So what other than those two stood out in terms of whether it was a social clip or general reaction online or what, what, or, or even just something that stood out to you personally? What, what did you think was the other sort of clip out moment of the night, other than obviously the two title fights? Because I missed a lot of the prelims because it was so early in the morning over here. Yeah, there, there wasn't much to be honest with you, Simon, in terms of setting social media on fire. The interest was in those two title fights, and to be honest, more so just about that main event. Obviously, any time a heavyweight title is on the line in combat sports, it's always going to have, you know, the the, the large majority of, of the interest. But um, I have to agree with some of the things you said there, Simon. I was really impressed with Saeed Namagomedov. I was really impressed with uh, Michael Morales. And I was really impressed with Victor Henry. A couple of debuts there with Henry and Morales. And Saeed Nurmagomedov, I mean, looking at his record, he's only lost twice by decision, so he's never been finished. And my God, Simon, I don't know if I've not been really paying much attention to him until last night. And this is a kind of this is almost like the um, the the silver lining on a dark cloud. We had a, a, a couple of fights fall out due to weight cutting issues and, and other bits and pieces, but then some of these other fights got a higher a profile and got pushed up the card. My God, Said Nurmagomedov's striking looked incredible. And then obviously, listen, he's a Dagestani, right? So the fact that he finished the fight with a guillotine choke shouldn't surprise anyone. Like Within 47 seconds, that's how long this fight lasts, 47 seconds. His, his, his striking looked incredible. And then obviously, you know, he, he gets to finish uh, via submission, like I said. Super impressed by him. And, and yeah, it's always nice to see a couple of guys make a debut and, and make a, an early impression. So yeah, I think those are kind of like my biggest takeaways in terms of outside the title fights, what 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 impressed me most and what I think I'm going to remember most when looking back at UFC 270. Yeah, the first fight that I actually caught was the Victor Henry uh, Rayoni Barcelos fight. And shout out to my old MMA junkie colleague Farah Hanoon on their preview show, uh, which she hosts. She basically called out the odds makers and said, I think uh, Rony Barcelos was like a minus five twenty-five favorite for that fight, which is huge, huge for a two-horse race. And she said, "I really, really like the odds on uh, on on uh, Henry Victor Henry. He is a much better fighter than the bookies are saying here." And she was bang on. So anybody who followed her advice before that fight should be sending her a box of chocolates or something because she absolutely cleaned up. It was it was. It's great. It's always nice to see the bookies get a bit of a cane in sometimes. So, but yeah, that was great. Big underdog, great performance, and he's off and running in the UFC. He took that fight on ridiculously short notice as well. So, um, looking forward to seeing what he does. And he's in that crazy 135 pound division where every fight is an absolute barn burner. So, 
um, fun things to come for for Victor Henry. But yeah, what I saw of the event was 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 pretty solid. But those two title fights, it was all about. And to me, the big takeaway coming away was the, the co-main event was all about how good the fight was. The main event was all about how much better Francis Ngannou has gotten and what the hell happens next. So we we don't have the answers. We will find out in the coming months, hopefully. And uh, fingers crossed, the man gets paid, the man stays in the UFC, and maybe the man gets to fight Tyson Fury. I want to have my cake and eat it, but we'll see how it all pans out. But not a bad way to kick kickstart the year in terms of pay-per-views. Got another one coming up pretty soon in February, quite early in the month. Um, but that's pretty much all we got on this episode of the Brit Pack Sandu. And it's not long before we go to video, is it? Not long at all. And so for those of you that want to get an early idea or you know, give us some early support, the best thing you could do right now is go to our YouTube channel. Go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. So when we do go to video, you'll get the first notification. But yeah, we're not too far off. Hopefully sometime in February or March at the latest, will be up and running on, on video. We've put in a lot of work behind the scenes, already started to do a lot of testing, and we're going to continue to test so that when we do go to video, we give you guys the best product and the best form of this show that we possibly can. But in the meantime, the best way you guys can support us is go to the website, thebritpackmma.com, and there you will find links to our social media accounts, both the shows, my, mine, Simon's. We're available in audio format on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And regardless of whether you listen on Spotify or Apple, there's functions to rate and review. So if you're able to do that, take 15, 20 seconds of your time to do that, a few taps on your smartphone, it really does go a long way on helping us and helping the show get found on these respective platforms. Great stuff. UFC's pay-per-view season is up and running. You said the UFC's 2022 season is up and running last week. Now the pay-per-views are up and running. It's going to be a big year for the UFC. Lots of headlines, lots of big fights. And uh, we will bring it all to you here on the Brit Pack. Have a great week, and we'll speak to you in a week's time. Mm -hmm.